My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Last month, I was in the mountains performing a prenatal clinic. It was a normal day in the mountain, except maybe just a few less patients than usual. Our last regular monthly clinic had been canceled due to violence, and so this was our first time back. My first questions to patients as they come is always to discuss the G's and P's. This is essentially where you ask women how many living children the woman has and how many times she's been pregnant. It's kind of their, the first step to talking to a woman who is pregnant. My next patient, as I was sitting there, was a 34-year-old woman. She sat down and I asked her how many children she had. She responded that she had two living children, and with her current pregnancy, that would make three. Okay, no problem. Uh, And now, as usual, I asked her how many times she had been pregnant. She paused for a moment and reflected on this, and she finally said, 10. This This would make 10. Now, that was shocking that she had had 10 pregnancies but only had two living children, so I asked her for more details. She told me that she had not had any miscarriages. They had all died in childhood. Some were from swelling, some were from fever, some from diarrhea. There were a lot of different causes. But now she was left with only two. How could this possibly happen? I want to talk today about one way we have chosen to combat this problem. Before we moved to Haiti, we went up to the mountains and pulled women to see how many living children they had and how many children had died. From our surveying, we found that it was right around 18%, almost one in five children died before the age of five in these areas. Now, this in and of itself is shocking. I mean, imagine 100 kids from your average elementary school dying by the time they finish kindergarten. But when we looked closer, we saw that certain families lost more children. And really, the thing that correlated the most was family size. The more children a family had, the statistically higher the odds of death for those children. It got to the point where there was almost a two times odds of death by the time families had nine or ten kids. And nine or ten kids sounds crazy, but there there are a number of families that have that many children in the mountains. One day in August, the administrator at the clinic, George, called me into the office. There had been a difficult birth in the mountains the night before, and one of our drivers had had to take the clinic car at midnight up the steep road and fetch a woman who had been obstructed in birth. Now, the driver had gotten to her, but then had to return in the middle of the night through the dangerous streets of Port-au-Prince to bring the woman to a hospital and find, actually to find a hospital that could do a C-section at that hour. At the same time that all this was going, our malnutrition program was burgeoning. We had more and more children that were entering the program with severe acute malnutrition. The last years of political violence and economic issues had eroded the ability of mothers to provide for their children. So George told me that there was something we had to do about this, some way to stop the spigot on these issues. And he said that the way to do that was with birth control. Now, birth control is already offered at the clinic for free. If you come to the clinic, the Ministry of Health provides a Depo-Provera shot as well as pills to any patients at no charge. Now, In Haiti, we generally prefer the Depo-Provera shot because it lasts for three months. You just need the shot once every three months. Now, women generally do not like this in the United States because of the slight weight gain that is associated with it, but that's really a concern in Haiti. Now, we certainly love the implant as well as IUDs, but these are harder to attain. 
the pill, as one can imagine, is often difficult to keep track of for those lower on the socioeconomic ladder in Haiti. And particularly, it's very hard to take it every day at the same time. Now, we had these available at the clinic, but the problem was that remote communities often had little access to either. At times, Ministry of Health community health workers would offer it, but it wasn't really readily available in the areas in which we worked. If a woman from one of our mountain communities wanted to get a shot or a pill, she would need to travel six hours, first on the back of a mule and then a tap-tap to arrive at the clinic. This was, of course, assuming that the woman knew about contraception and assumed that she could leave her family for a full day with her kids at home. Also, this would require money for transportation, something that right now in the, in the environment in Haiti is not readily in supply. And so we started talking as a clinic. Carmel, George, myself, and several other leaders slowly developed a plan. We would first evaluate the community to determine their attitude, then have a community meeting, and finally offer birth control, if, they, if the community wanted it, at our monthly prenatal clinics. Over the next month, whenever we went into the mountains on mobile clinics or prenatal clinics, we started asking women's opinions on contraception. We also asked the men to see if they were against this. Now, the Creole word for birth control is planning. And ultimately, we learned that most people had heard of this word, but when you press them further, they didn't exactly know what it entailed. So after we talked to them about this, we asked them if they wanted to have more children. There's an old saying in Haiti that petites et richesses malheurées, which basically translates to children are the riches of the poor. And the idea behind this is that if you don't have wealth, well, at least you have children. And we all assumed, myself, Carmel, George, that the mothers in this community would not be open to birth control because they would all want more children. These are the people who would take care of them when they were older. And we felt this was probably ingrained in the culture. But apparently, something had changed in the culture over the last generation. Over and over, we heard women say, no, I don't want any more children. Life is too expensive. Now, I must say, they are right. Life is way too expensive in Haiti. It may be hard to believe, but we spend, me and Hannah, spend more each month now than we did in the United States when I was an attending physician and Hannah had a great job. And a major expense is food. Back in 1980, Haiti was able to grow enough food to cover 80% of its domestic need. That means that they had to import about 20%. Since that time, the population of the country has doubled, and now Haiti's food production is only sufficient to cover about 40% of the need. The rest is imported, largely from the United States and some from the Dominican Republic. Rice, what we think of as a staple of the Haitian diet, is almost exclusively imported from the United States. Most other manufactured goods are also imported, and this means that the price for everything is a lot more than we would find in other countries. All this is in spite of the fact that the purchasing power of the average Haitian family is usually in the single-digit dollars per day. So we were surprised that women were open to planning, but once we thought about it more, it was not all that surprising. Women did want to be able to control the amount of children they could have. They just didn't know how. And so we called a meeting. In December, we called a meeting at the Episcopal Church in one of the mountain communities. We invited everyone, village leaders called Kazakhs, voodoo priests and priestesses, midwives that we supported, pastors, priests, and everyday folks. Our community health workers crisscrossed the community to let people know to come. And then we loaded up myself, George, Dr. Lonnie, our medical director, and Miss Margaret, our head nurse, into the car, and we headed up the mountain. We arrived around 10 in the morning, 
and over 100 people were waiting in the cavernous sanctuary of the church. Now, in a meeting like this, I'm usually ineffective. A touchy subject like family planning is not going to be well-received from an outsider, particularly an American. So George and Dr. Lonnie took the lead, and I would always want that. They explained what birth control was and how it could be used. Our community health worker also chimed in, telling people what they could expect. Now, as he did, the local Roman Catholic priest sidled in. He was an amiable fellow who I had not met before. After the health worker finished, Dr. Lani asked the crowd who was interested now in starting birth control. Now, Haitians are somewhat reluctant to talk about private matters like this, and with a Roman Catholic priest looking directly at them, no one raised their hand. And then the priest stood up. Now, he was an energetic and charismatic speaker. He talked about how he was the seventh of seven children, and if his mother had used birth control, he would not have been there today talking to us. And as he started to say this, I became worried. He went on to say that if people didn't want to have children, they needed to control themselves to avoid relations. But then, after saying this, his tone shifted somewhat. He said that the world was changing. During his parents' time, there was enough land. There was enough food. Now he was seeing his parishioners able to feed and send their first three children to school. But after that, there was nothing for the fourth, for the fifth, for the sixth child. And we all know what happens after this. As the priest said, they end up being sent to Port-au-Prince as Restivex. This is the Haitian Creole word for child slaves or as homeless children. And then they enter the gangs once they get to the right age. The priest said, we have to put a stop to this. He ended by saying that he still wanted families to control themselves if they could. But if they couldn't, perhaps, perhaps they could consider what we were offering. Now, as I was listening to this, I was floored. Our team was floored. I understood that this was about as far as the priest could go in supporting us, but he had done us a great blessing. He thanked us and we thanked him and he left the meeting to visit some of his congregation in the mountains. This is an aside, but the Catholic Church often does excellent work in Haiti. I feel like when I visit their pediatric hospitals, their hospices, their homes for children that have HIV and tuberculosis, I get to see a hidden and worthy side of the Catholic Church. And when I hear on the news that Catholic donations are down worldwide, I often feel like it is places like here that suffer. All this to say, if the priest had come out against birth control, I would have been fine with that. But I'm very grateful that he did show us his support. After he left, we asked again, and more hands went up to say that they were interested, even some of the men. One man brought his 65-year-old mother in front of the church and asked if we could give her birth control. We thanked him profusely. I mean, this is important that people can feel comfortable asking questions. And we talked for the next hour, educating the community about who was eligible that older people didn't actually need birth control. It's been over a month since that meeting. And in the last two weeks, we went up the mountain twice, once for prenatal clinic and once for mobile clinic. The first time, one woman timidly came up to Miss Carmel, who is our clinic founder and a nurse, to accept the Depo-Provera shot. Carmel educated her on the side effects and the risks and gave her the dose. Now, we took this as a win that we had, we had gotten one person. But as the clinic came to a close, Miss Carmel stood up in front of the crowd and talked to them about what birth control was. She talked about her experience with it. And then I told them that my wife uses birth control, that it's a normal thing. The second time we went up, we found that 11 women accepted the shot. 
and many more asked for it, but then we would do a pregnancy test and we found out that they were actually pregnant. But they did say that they would want it once they had given birth. Birth control is not a subject that most people feel comfortable talking about, particularly among missionaries, but it is one of the strongest tools in our belts in preventing child mortality. I tell women if they want to have children, that's great. We'll provide prenatal clinics while they're pregnant, vaccines when their babies are born, and medical care if their children fall ill. But if they don't want to have children right now, if they don't feel they're ready for it, we're here for them too, and we want to help them in that. What we want more than anything is for them to have the tools to be able to care for the children that they do have so that they can grow up to be the leaders that Haiti needs. Thank you for listening. We would like you to know that we are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a fascinating history. And there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you and God bless.